0: God did miracles, but like would he do it for me? And I think I was kind of afraid to ask because I might be disappointed. And I think there's a lot of people out there they might relate with that. Like, you know, God does do miracles, but will he do it for me? And if I ask and it doesn't happen, it could be really disappointing.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Todd Cast. We hear the stories of how Jesus became real to people, the journey through the ups and downs of life, and how they hold on to the truth. To learn more about our ministry, go to everydisciplescent.ca or send us an email at information at And of course, follow us along on Instagram at thetodcast underscore My guest today has spent her life serving, working in worship ministry and teaching, she had a pastoral role at Sanctus Church in Ajax. She's written a book coming out soon called Found. She has a Bible study video series called Finding Freedom and is the co-host of the 700 Club. Please welcome Lori Hartshorn. Hey,
0: okay. I'm loving the intro already. (laughs) How are you? Good. I'm not talking about my intro. I'm talking about that music. Who made that music, oh, Todd?
1: Well, there's some really, really <laughs> dear friends of mine that made made that music. You might, I think, you might know them.
0: I think they're my sons. <laughs> so I'm pretty used to the heavy metal, hard rock kind of whatever you categorize that one.
1: Yeah. Well, it's that's awesome. That's just really fantastic. I like to wake up to that type of music. You know, it just really gets me going. <laughs> You tolerated a lot of that music oh, in your home, did you? Oh
0: man, oh man. We spent years with heavy metal. In fact, to the point where our windows would shake. Oh, that's, We didn't know if we would survive the season, but we're here to tell all about oh,
1: it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. We like that. Well, if you want a jam, you can see behind me here, we got the drum kit. We we can, uh, Dean's Perfect. here. We got lots of guitars, eh? We can Perfect.
0: go. <laughs> Perfect.
1: <laughs> well, Lori, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Thanks it's, for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You guys find the place all right?
0: Well, we did. We came down the country road here and we love it. Country road. Take me home. I like it.
1: Yeah. It's a little hidden. Hey, we kind of.
0: It's good. It's
1: how we like to do things at Disciples City, like to hide some of the studios. You know
0: what? Yeah. It kind of goes with a chill vibe you have, Todd. (laughs) Should I tell how the day I kind of first met you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Because, yes.
0: Do you remember this? You probably don't. We were painting Curtis and Sylvia's house. Oh, yeah. And we're in there doing this massive reno. I'm painting, and I see we had a big dumpster out front, and I see this guy like long hair, ponytail, looking a little rough, <laughs> digging through the dumpster. And I'm like, "Hey, Kurt, better go down there. Somebody needs Jesus." They're like digging through the dumpster, you know. <laughs> it was you. That's awesome. You had it showed up. To, you had your truck, and you were actually going to take the stuff to the dump. And I, anyway, I thought you were dumpster diving, but oh, and it was
1: Todd. Curtis is like, "No, no, it's just my buddy Todd." <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's awesome. No, I never knew that. That's awesome. I'm not judging
0: you. I'm just saying in the moment. That's all I knew. That's all I knew.
1: Hey, that's okay. You know Brody hate. Yes. From E3? Yes, very so the, well. So the first time we, E3 guys came down, partnered with us to help us yeah. start teaching the stuff. And from inside the church, I saw him walking down the street. It's like, oh, I got to run out and tell this guy about Jesus. And it's Brody. I've I shared know. that with him too.
0: He's a scary dude. He was in our house, <laughs> tattooed. The earrings. I'm like, I was a little afraid, but then he opened his mouth. I'm like, this guy's a teddy bear.
1: Oh yeah. Gentle giant. Oh yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. Hey, another That's story. Right. might've
0: been a mistake.
1: <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. Well let's begin. All right. Lori, tell me about, um, you spent most of your life, uh, you know, in serving the Lord, but, but what was it like growing up for you? Like,
0: yeah, actually, I, I'm very thankful for my growing up. My parents are first-generation Christians. They came to Jesus. Uh, my mom came to—she was a Sunday school teacher, she says, in the United Church. She didn't even know the gospel, but she taught Sunday school faithfully. And uh, they had an evangelist come to town in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. And my mom and dad were dating at that point. My dad's a Nova Scotia maritime guy came up to Ontario to make the big bucks, I guess. And uh, anyway, my mom heard the gospel the first night of those meetings, and she went forward down that aisle and received Jesus. And she decided in her own mind, I don't think she said it out loud, if my dad hadn't walked the aisle and accepted Jesus by the end of the week, she was going to dump him. And at the end of that week, my dad and all these guys, a whole crew of them that came up from Nova Scotia, to Ontario, a whole bunch of them got saved wow. and there was a whole movement really of God, all these young families. And so I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, I mean, they're learning their faith in many ways. They weren't legalistic, um, which I appreciated. They were just genuinely working out their faith. They were very honest about their faith. Yeah, And, uh, you know, they both serve faithfully in the church. I grew up watching parents who just serve people. And it was very clear that was a value in our home. So I really did start serving the Lord at a very young age. And I love Jesus. Um, I can't, I remember at 11 years old, there was some special speaker again that came to our church. I was raised in a and a good church, Calvary Baptist Church in Ashwa. I'm a Baptist girl, you know. I've recovered a bit from that, but anyway, it was. I am actually very thankful for my upbringing, and I remember at eleven, around ten or eleven years old, really understanding what it meant to follow Jesus. And I signed this card, and I all I remember is it said something like, you know, uh, basically you can have all of me take me anywhere. I'll do anything. Like basically whatever you want, I'll do. And I signed this card and I meant it in my young age. Um, and so I, I just, yeah, had a desire, you know, I didn't have it all figured out, still don't. Um, but I remember going to camp. I was part of Pioneer Girls Clubs program, which was a significant part of my faith journey and growing up and growing in my faith, and had a lot of women that really like mentored me. I could have been in a lot of trouble. I just want to say that. If I'm presenting like I was the perfect girl, no, no, no. I could have easily been in a lot of trouble. The Baptist girl who isn't allowed to dance snuck out to the dances. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I didn't do the things my kids did, let's just say, but I could have gone any which way. And I really look back and see God's faithfulness. Like he surrounded me with people who loved me and mentored me, who were very intentional in my life, which I think has taught me to be very intentional with people. Um, So I was modeled that. And I'm so, so thankful.
1: So when, so that's interesting that you say that you could have gone whichever way. So.
0: When you went to that camp, were you a teenager? Yeah, I ended up going. So I went to, it was in Walkerton, Ontario. Anybody with any context knows you don't drink the water in Walkerton. You can now. But back in the days, you couldn't. And it was a great experience. I ended up being, I was 17, 16 or 17. Maybe it was was 15 or 16. I don't know, somewhere around there. I'd gone, grown up at this camp, just for girls, pioneer girls. And um, I went into a two-year leadership program. I think, you know, I must have been 15 or 16, two summers, all year long. We were mentored all year long. We had monthly meetings. Um, it was very much part of my formation. And I had an, an encounter with God. Like I would say, for me, following Jesus, like I knew a lot about God because obviously I was in the church, I, you know, all my life. But you can know a lot about God, but not know God. And The coming to know God intimately and just like no disrespect to my actually very good Baptist upbringing, but there wasn't a lot of conversation or talk about experiences with God or encounters with God or sort of the tangible, you know, seeing God miraculously work. Like we know there were miracles in the Bible, but was that for today? And was that for me? So I knew there was more, but I was coming from a very conservative place, you know, yeah. in my upbringing. And, and I, I, I had a, an account, literal encounter with God. I was at camp and doing this leadership program. So the ca- the campers went home for the weekend. It was Saturday and my friend, her boyfriend was coming up and he was going to bring a friend. And the four of us were going to go into the big town of Walkerton to a big, you know, country fair, whatever. I'm sure it wasn't that big, but they had a (laughs) Ferris wheel or something. Anyway, and I was, I was very uncomfortable. Uh, I can't put my finger on why. I didn't know these guys and trusted my friend enough, but I just did not feel comfortable. And it was kind of embarrassing at, you know, 16, 17, you have to like tell your friend, like, I'm just not going to go out with your boyfriend and his friend like you know I just really felt uncomfortable and you know 16 it doesn't sound like a big deal but for a 16 year old that was you know I was just really nervous about losing my friend over it and anyway I found myself at this camp in the middle of a field everyone had gone everyone went to town I have no idea why I didn't go to town because I am like go to town girl I'm like if there's a party I'm going to be there if there's something going on I have no idea to this day Why on earth did I stay at that camp? But Jesus knew. And I was out in this field feeling kind of sorry for myself. And I felt the presence of God. Wow, yeah. Like I experienced the presence of God. There was no worship music. There was no sermon. There was no altar call. It was me and the tall grass. And all I can describe it is I felt a blanket, like a warm, warm, heavy blanket come over me and i just laid right down in that field i have no idea how long i laid in the field i just told the lord in the simplest of terms like i'll do anything for you and i i never shared that with anyone todd Mm. because in my culture like what like
1: would like until people, like until today, or
0: no, I've since <laughs> since. Is it then, a podcast first? I know, yeah, no, no. Sorry, not the first one to break this story, <laughs> oh. but I actually do share it in my new book, which is coming out. We'll just put a yeah. you know a little plug in there called Found, because I talk about me discovering more of what does it mean to be in relationship with God? What does yeah. it mean to be in Christ? What is my true identity? Who is Lori? And. That was an encounter with I couldn't explain. So years later, I'm married. I'm now teaching at a Christian school, became a teacher, taught for 21 years, uh, primarily in a Christian school environment. And um, there was a school secretary, and her name was Deb, and she was this Pentecostal girl. And I had all these Pentecostal women that, on staff, and they had this upper room prayer meeting before school. And again... I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I want to go to the prayer meeting because I want to learn to pray like these girls pray, like they know Jesus and I want to learn to pray like them and I'm serving the Lord and i really love God, but I just wanted more of him yeah. and I shared, we had a prayer. She prayed with me. I had no memory of this field experience at that point. Like I hadn't thought about it for years. I just thought, wasn't that great. That was me and Jesus, that's private, I'll keep that to myself.
1: But was that like a pivotal, that must have been a pivotal moment in your, where it's it's, now it's yours, right? As as opposed to being your parents brought you up in this, now it's yours.
0: Yes, I knew then I was called to ministry. I knew then I literally said, I'll do anything for you. So I chose not to go down the standard university path. I went to the U.S. because back in my day, Christian, I wanted a degree. Um, I felt like I was, supposed, I wanted to be like educated, but I wanted to, I knew I was called to ministry. And now you have to appreciate, Todd, I'm a little older than you. Like, there were no Beth Moore Bible teachers out there. Mm. I had never seen a woman teach the Bible other than my Sunday school teacher and at a woman's tea or coffee hour. There was no women preaching from the platform. Yeah. There was no women writing Bible studies that I knew of in my circles. And I would literally went, so I went to get a Christian university to get a degree, music and biblical studies, which that's a whole other story of what happened. I had to change my degree to education, but that's a whole other story that I, I maybe share later. But anyway, I'm there at a Christian getting a degree. And um, yeah, just, I knew that God wanted to equip me for ministry, but I would sit outside of the guys like hermeneutic, classroom which is basically how to study your bible i would take notes in the hallway for my boyfriend because what do you why, mean
1: you couldn't go in, it wasn't I your class i could have
0: or? i could have but i just it wasn't part of my degree program <laughs> but i was like wanting really more and these guys were all in these preaching classes and i'm like i should be in the preaching class but there's no women in the preaching class
1: and were you not allowed at the time or just I don't, women didn't I don't know that do anyone
0: said you weren't allowed. I'm sure you could have taken the course, but in my life, where were my role models of women preachers?
1: Sunday school and...
0: Yeah, I didn't, I, there were none. I never saw that. And I know for some other people that might've been, you know, what they, there was their, maybe their norm, but not really, not back in my generation. And so I didn't have a vision. I had a calling But I thought, well, anyway, God redirected me. I'll tell you what happened with that vision, though. This was many years later that I finally understood what that happened in the field. This secretary of this Christian school prayed for me one day and she said, I see you in a field. I'm like, pardon? She described in intimate detail (laughs) what happened to me in the field. And I knew I encountered God. And I said yes to him then. And I did follow him as best I could. But I had never until that moment had anyone say, this is what happened to you. God placed a a mantle of leadership over you. And because you were a willing servant. I had never, first of all, she saw it in grand detail. Wow. God used that to show me there's so much more to encountering God than what I had typically experienced. And I'm holding this experience sort of to myself as something private. And then I realized through my great Pentecostal, maybe more charismatic type friends, oh, no, no, this is normal. (laughs) God can actually speak to people, which I knew that was true. God spoke to me through his word, and he would speak to me, and I was... But I never experienced him like that. Like, I didn't know that he would literally show up and you would tangibly encounter him. And it took years for someone to actually call it out of me what actually happened to me. So it's it's just, you know, it's just an interesting journey for me of this call to ministry. But even though I didn't understand what happened to me, I encountered God and he used it. Yeah. And like, it's not, for whatever reason, he revealed later on what happened through another person. But then that opened up the whole realm of, oh, wow, like God speaks to people, like there's words of knowledge. Oh, he actually wants to do miracles. Oh, like this Christian life is actually, there's power here right now. You know what I mean? I'm the good Baptist girl. So no, <laughs> and don't no disrespect to really, truly to those of more conservative faith, But I just was raised in a setting that we just never talked about that. Yeah. So you don't know what's available to you if you haven't seen it modeled. If people aren't talking about it, you just think it's in the Bible and that was for then. Yeah. And not for now.
1: Well, then it's really interesting that you had this encounter without any background on it. Right. And by yourself and for no apparent reason.
0: Yeah. I couldn't conjure it up, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know how sometimes people are so desperate and they're searching, but, but you already knew. So, I mean, it just makes it very profound. It just makes it so much more real. Hey.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: So after, after your school experience, then you came back here. Is that when you started at, uh, at that bigger church in
0: Ajax? No, actually, man, you're going to unpack my whole life here. Let's go. So I'm the Baptist girl. (laughs) I married this brethren boy from like Peterborough, Ontario. Do you know that place? It's a good city. (laughs) It seems to be the place where, like, the family has my, both my boys are now living in Peterborough. I mean, we're taping this close to Peterborough. Like, anyway, so we're both these kind of conservative, we love Jesus. We had a music ministry. We met when we were in our teens. Uh, We had a music ministry. We traveled and did music together before we got married and, you know, somewhat like after we got married, but there's a little bit of a snag in that story, Um, I went to school to be a music major. I grew up singing. I was the girl who sang. Right. And I did years and years of not just church singing but local theater. So I was the Maria in the Sound of Music. I was I performed, performed, performed all my life, which is part of my, you know, journey of faith is God had to slap me out of my performance mentality cuz Isn't it just, aren't we performing for God? Like, if I do enough for you, God, like, will you love me more? You know, I had some of those lies that I had developed as a kid who performed as a person who just thought, if I can just perform and do more for you, then maybe you'll love me more and maybe I'll experience you more. And obviously God just kept taking away that. And now I'm in my, I'll admit it, I'm 60. So there you go. At sixty years old it's like, oh man, he's just had to beat that out of okay he doesn't beat it out of you, but he takes it out of you in his most gentle and humble and and sometimes he just frankly has to discipline you when it's like that is not it you're not getting it so I had this performance mentality even in my faith, and long story short which Again, it's in my book, Found. I tell all my story. Uh, The meeting God in the field. But as the singer who went to university to study music and ministry, I lost my voice. Like I was two weeks into Nebraska. I went to Nebraska. uh, Cornhusker football, if anybody cares. And I lost my voice. I couldn't even make the choir. Like you talk about an identity crisis who are you if you're like the washed up singer now? Like everything that you were known for, all the things you did were really about music. I just didn't know who I was and what God was calling me to be. Like I had it all figured out, mapped out. This is how I was going to serve Jesus. You know what I mean? Like I literally could hardly talk, let alone sing. I couldn't even hold a pitch. And the deans had to bring me into the office and say like, if you can not audition for the choir... It's going to be pretty tough to be a music major. And, you know, we can see God's hand in moving me into an education and biblical studies degree because, you know, so much of what I've done, I'm truly a teacher. And that's part of my spiritual gifting is teaching. So here God is shaping me. He knows he's rewriting my story. I'm trying to write it my way. He's rewrite. He's just like writing it over top of me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just I couldn't escape it's so funny to me in many ways, just like, oh man, like I could have tried to take charge, perform and just do this self-sufficient thing. And God just kept stripping me of that. And it's about surrender. It's about surrender. Remember the field? Just lay down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just about mm. surrender. So I lose my voice and I'm years struggling with nodules. Found out I had nodules, developed my voice box. A very big deal to get rid of nodules, if ever. I was told you, I would never sing again. And fast forward, we got married. Um, worship teams started to emerge in the church. I mean, I couldn't make the worship team because I couldn't rely on my voice. It was starting to come back a bit. Dean and I would sing a bit, but I really couldn't count on it. Mm. So they had this worship conference at our church, and this guy came to our church, Brethren Church back to the brethren. So now we're in a brethren church for 17 years where we raised our kids, this good old conservative brethren church. And this guy came in from another church to train up the worship teams. And I was serving in the kitchen. I'm like, I would love to be able to lead people in worship. I would love to be able to sing, but clearly I don't have a voice.
1: So when you guys were, you said you were traveling, with worship what were you playing an instrument or
0: i was a vocalist and worship leader like that's where god then took me after he healed me but dean was a keyboard player uh we did duets we did duets forever okay and back in the track days and we traveled with our tracks with our cassette tapes taught do you know what that is of course okay okay so anyway we had our cassette tapes and our background music and we traveled but dean played in many bands okay and we would often to sing with bands, but I was really out of the picture for about eight years Wow! because I lost my voice all through university. We got married. We were about four years into three or four years into marriage and I still didn't, hadn't recovered my voice. And I'd really accepted that I will, I, I will never have a voice like this is, this is something I can't rely. I had chronic laryngitis. I would always get throat infections. Like it was a real physical battle for me. So here I, and I'm kind of, of course, again, I'm not, I knew God did miracles, but like, would he do it for me? And I think I was kind of afraid to ask because I might be disappointed. And I think there's a lot of people out there, they might relate with that. Like, you know, God does do miracles, but will he do it for me? And if I ask and it doesn't happen, it could be really disappointing. But I'm eight, I'm close to eight years of a lost voice of a kid who grew up, I was the singer. I'm no longer a singer. God really chipped away at a lot of the things that I put reliance on. He stripped me in a really a gracious way. He humbled me. He kept redirecting me. He kept writing my story. I tried to take control and he just take over. And I just had to keep learning, surrender, surrender, surrender. So I have no voice. So here I am, I'm in the kitchen ready to serve brownies to the people who are doing the real music thing. And I slipped into the back row and I started listening to the guy who was leading the sessions and he wasn't talking about music. He was talking about spiritual warfare. Mm. And I was like, everything within me started to go on fire. Like my heart was racing. I was sweating. I was having what I know now. As a hot flash, but I was in my 20s, Todd, so it wasn't the hot flash. I was like <laughs> on fire. And I was like, I was in the field. Mm. I felt the presence of God without having language for it. And this stirring within me that something's happened to me. And he talked about spiritual warfare. He talked about the role of the demonic and how Satan can, you know, has schemes and plans against us. And, and I was just like, whatever he's talking about, I know that it's real. And I actually, I, I need to talk to this guy. Then he asked us to sit in groups of, you know, small circles. So I sat with my husband and a friend. There were three of us to pray and to ask God if there's anything in our life, any way the enemy has stolen from us. Well, I'm like, hello. Uh my voice. He took my voice. and But I could hardly, I couldn't even say it. I was so, just really the enemy did not want me to speak this out because he did not want my freedom. And this guy came up to us and said, I have a word from God for you. And I'm like, you do? Oh no, like, am I in trouble? And he said, The enemy tried to steal your voice and Jesus wants to give it back. He called it out. Todd, um, Dean was there to witness this. They laid hands on me. I mean, my nose poured like this is not a typical runny nose. This was like disgusting fluid flowing out of my face. I wept. There was something that left my body. Wow. And I was healed that day. I, my voice was fully restored to me. I, my speaking voice, my singing voice. But you see now, I, had encou- I knew this, that there was an assignment of Satan over my life. And I was determined I would never stay silent again. That I would declare absolutely the power of God to heal. I'm the Brethren Baptist girl now, come on. No one in my circle was talking about this. Mm. So again, I was like, who do I tell this to? Who do I tell this to? And I'm like, I frankly don't care who I tell this to. I'm going to declare Jesus healed me. Yeah. And he did. And it's pretty apparent now that was in my late 20s. Then I became worship leader. Then we started to, you know, it wasn't just about traveling and doing work, worship ministry. We started to lead worship ministry in our church I was a music teacher. I started to have choirs. I had this choir, this thing that God created. It was a youth choir. It had a high, over 100 teenagers, high school students. I mean, it sounds bizarre, but we, we created these musical productions, and we went on the road. And I'm telling you, it was worship ministry. It's awesome. People were getting saved. We were just like declaring the gospel through music and drama. And back in the day, like, I don't even know how it all happened. To be honest, half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I honestly I just am like if Jesus tells me to do it, I'm just gonna do it. You know? <laughs> and and that was like he just restored everything the enemy tried to steal from me from from me. God restored it and multiplied it. If I had not lost my voice, I don't think I would truly understand that this voice is a is a gift from God. It's truly not about me. I'm this little Oshawa girl who, you know, didn't even really understand much about the power of God, Yeah, but it didn't matter if I knew it or if I was taught it, he showed up in my life and I've just simply tried to obey him. And I'm so thankful because my whole ministry, my whole life, like now I host a TV show, like really, who cares? It's not really about anything special. It's just my voice. It's an assignment. Yeah. Like we all have an assignment and Jesus, he knew that that's how he equipped me to teach the Bible. And like, ironically, I've become a Bible teacher. I pastor, I preach, and I'm the girl who never saw that. You know, I've helped a lot of women not find their voice, find Jesus voice, speak and declare the gospel. It's not really about your story. It's about his story. I'm very passionate about that. Like, you declare the work of God in your life. Every ugly part of your story, every good, bad, and ugly part, doesn't even matter. God uses it all. But I would say I've encountered God in miraculous ways in my life when I wasn't looking for it, when I didn't understand it, when I didn't have words for it. He still did it. Amen. Like he still did it. <laughs> you know? It proves it wasn't about me. Yeah. All along.
1: Yeah. It's that whole surrender piece. Right?
0: It's the whole surrender piece. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so when you did get into this this sanctus, this very large church in Ajax and you became like a teaching pad, like you actually spoke mm-hmm. at this church. So As you had described growing up and being at that college and not being in the pastor class or not having examples of women preaching, what was that first experience like for you, even though you were because you were asked to speak and lead, right?
0: Yeah, it actually backs up back to the Brethren Church. Ironically, the Brethren Church where women were to be silent. So just put that in your hat for a minute and think, what on earth is she doing in a brethren church? But we saw a move of God in our brethren church, and I actually started speaking. They were at women events, but I started speaking at all kinds of women events and started just, I didn't have an agenda really, but I just had a deep passion for the word of God. I just studied the word of God just every day because I just loved it so much. And you can't keep it to yourself. You got to share it with someone, right? So God just kept giving me opportunity to speak. So I actually started speaking back in those days in my 20s, even though there was, it wasn't about preaching on the platform. But from there, God led me uh, from teaching from doing sort of a side ministry, you know, of going to women's events, teaching the Bible. I led many Bible studies in my neighborhood, in my home. I led many neighbors to the Lord. Like, I don't know, I just, it wasn't about a platform. Really, it's never really been about a platform for me. It's just, is, God just kept opening doors. And then I started working for John Maxwell. So John C. Maxwell, who's written like, I don't know, hundred plus books now on leadership, Uh, There's a, he has a a part of his ministries, Equip Leadership, and I became the director of Equip Leadership Canada. I left teaching. Uh, God called me out of that and I started leading Equip Leadership Canada. So I was traveling across Canada teaching leaders biblical leadership. So I was on a maybe we would say more of a platform. I was equipping and training leaders to take the gospel and to take le- biblical leadership training across the world. So we would send business leaders and pastors. We'd always combine a business leader with a pastor because we just thought sometimes pastors can be too, you know, not uh, with their head on in the heaven and business leaders have their feet on the ground and like we just... With John Maxwell, that's kind of how he rolls. Like, let's take this biblical truth and make it work out for everybody and wherever they are. So I led Equip Leadership Canada. And as I would go about speaking and teaching leadership, um, our family was unraveling. And on your podcast, you've interviewed Curtis, my son. so And you know Curtis very well. But, and finding freedom is truly my family story of three prodigal children. So I'm the Christian leader. I'm the, you know, out there in Canada, speaking across Canada, teaching Christian leaders, and my family's falling apart. I'm feeling like a complete, you know, imposter. And again, just kept surrendering Jesus. I'm not qualified. What am I doing here? And he just said, Open your voice, I will fill it. Open your voice, I will fill it. And I just started telling people very honestly what was happening in my family. And because I know pride will always rob you of what God wants to do. Yeah, And he had humbled me enough in my life. I was just surrender, surrender, surrender. And so I just started asking anyone and everyone that everywhere I went, I just shared as much as I could share at the time. Please pray for my family. Uh, the story is truly a miracle from God. We'd share our family story, not for us. Honestly, wouldn't you want to keep that to yourself, but it's actually the best story. Cause it's God's story. Again, it's not ours. It's his story.
1: Well, and it's real life.
0: It's real life. Yeah. Three prodigal kids running from Jesus. I'm the Christian leader, the speaker, the, you know, whatever. And God just supernaturally swept in seven years of kids running and supernaturally swept in and just grabbed the hearts of each one of my kids. And it was then in that time, Uh, People said, Laura, you need to be telling your own story. And that's where Finding Freedom came from. That's when my own speaking ministry started to emerge. So now I'm not just working for John Maxwell. I left there and I moved into my own ministry where I then was speaking across Canada and in the U.S. teaching. You got to laugh. It is pretty funny. The Baptist girl who marries the brethren boy is now teaching on spiritual warfare and the power of prayer. I mean, you can't make that up, right? Like, really? Who makes that up? Like, that's God. That is clearly not, I was clearly not equipped. I am not your typical person that God would pick. Why would he pick me to teach on spiritual warfare? But I have encountered him over and over again in my life. And our family story just absolutely was so evident. The reality of spiritual warfare and the power of prayer, like, come on. He went and got those kids. He changed both Dean, my husband and myself deeply and became really equipped us in this really wake up call of spiritual warfare, which had been going, this wake up call has been going on for a while. And then we get to the role of pastor. So I'm already speaking. I'm already teaching. I'm doing this in public ministry. Right. And. Sanctus, then it was called C4 Church, was our church home. We had come there, we'd been there for several years just as our church home. And then, as I, God would have it, my next assignment, I just kind of roll from assignment to assignment, you know, like, and He, whenever He's ready to move you on, He moves you on and He moves you into the next thing. And if you have surrendered, it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to let go. I've had a hard time letting go of teaching. When it's, if you attach your identity to those things, they're the things that define you. Like, who will you be without the voice? Who will you be without the teaching? You know, being a teacher, being Mrs. Hartshorn, that's what it was known as for 21 years. You know, who would I be without my reputation? And so God is stripping all these things away from me. And I'm more and more as I'm growing in Him, understanding who I really am in Christ. I'm a dearly loved child, I'm a dearly loved daughter of the most high God. And I have the power of Jesus living in me. And if I obey him, if I open my mouth, he'll use it. Yeah. And sometimes we overcomplicate what it means to follow Jesus, but it's like, just fall in love with him and surrender your whole self to him. And I'm not saying that because it was easy for me. I've got 60 years on my belt here of God continually reminding me and teaching me how dependent I am on him. But it's not, it's just like, it's such a beautiful journey. Yeah. And so then, yes, I was invited to be really part of preaching from that platform. And I thank the men in my life uh, who invited me to the platform. The men and the women who invited me to the platform. But in the context that I minister in, it was an invitation usually by men. But it really was Jesus' assignment.
1: Yeah so when that when that was occurring, is that you know you talked about your family the the prodigal kids, that was all happening during that time
0: the kids had i've got to think timeline here um the kids had returned to Jesus in two thousand ten, and it was later on that I took on the pastor role okay but we had come to that church in two thousand and nine. <laughs> And God moved us to that church after 17 years of being in a brethren church, which we dearly love. But God moved us, and we're not church hoppers, trust me. Like we were just, but we our kids were so far from being at church, and we had to go to a place where they understood spiritual warfare, where they were equipped. And Pastor John Thompson, shout out to him, John was significant, in, and he's written many books on spiritual warfare and have deliverance ministry. And so we put ourselves in a place that was, really understood what we were going through and was ready when our kids returned to the lord which they did eventually 2010 was the beginning of that curtis was first and then justin and then shannon about a year and a half later we were in that church already and then i i forget it was a few years in there that i left i was with john maxwell at the time and then i left leading equip leadership canada and took on the pastor one of the pastor roles. There's multiple pastors there. to large church.
1: So not to get into to details, but your kids, but Curtis, like you said, he, he was on the show. Friends, if you want to hear Curtis's story, it's season one, episode three. Um, but the others, so not to get into details and stuff like that. But what, what was that like as they're, and I mean, really, essentially, they're trying to find the truth in Jesus and make it their own. But as they're doing that... How how aware of you of, let's say, where Curtis was at? Mm. And uh, at what point did you sort of know that you needed prayer from people and and to be honest about it?
0: It was really obvious. Our kids were running hard, Todd. There was drugs. There was parties. Justin's story is he became a full-blown addict. Drugs and alcohol. He spent every dime on... We lost our... We lost him for years. Like, he was on the run. He would come in and out of our house. I mean, it was devastating. Uh, Curtis was... his. He shares his own story. Not only the, the drugs and the party scene, but the heavy metal music. He became a screamer in heavy metal band. Like, he totally changed. Our kids totally changed, Todd. Uh. This wasn't just like a little parenting bump or, gee, our kids aren't, you know, obeying us. Like, it was just like, no, they were went far the other way. And then Shannon, our youngest, um, she was shortly after the boys just got all into that scene. They wanted really nothing to do with God. They mocked us. It was very, very apparent. But I, I know to your question, and I speak to parents a lot, and to this day, like a week, a day hardly goes by, Todd, that someone doesn't reach out to us about what's going on in their family. They've got kids involved in, you know, the drugs, the parties, addiction, whatever, like we feel their pain and we share our story to encourage people. And because it's a story of hope that Jesus will go and get your kids and he loves them actually more than you're capable of loving them. But we had to surrender our kids to Jesus. And we really had to just invite many people to pray with us. Like we had to lay down our pride because the natural thing is you're kind of like you obviously feel like, you know, screw up as a parent. Like I'm obviously the loser parent here. You know, my kids are running from the from everything we've we've really brought them up to be and to value. This was obviously huge in our life. And, you know, you just have to humble yourself and just be open because you'll soon discover you're not alone. Yeah. And as we shared our story, more and more people came around us, more and more people supported us. And the Lord was very specific with us and said, if you will not invite people into your pain, who's going to be there for the party? I'm like, yeah, you're going to show up, Jesus. There's going to be a party. And so we're going to invite as many people on the journey of pain. And I think that's deeply biblical. We aren't just Jesus and me thing. This Christian life isn't just a superhero story of you following Jesus. It's actually very much about we together as a community. It's a family. God does everything in family and community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit is community. Everything about working out your faith is done in community. This is not Lone Ranger faith. And the more that you learn, go through your faith journey, the ups and the downs, the uglies and whatever, you, you do that with other people. That's how God shapes you and forms you, and that's how he uses people, like I've shared already, people speaking into my life, people using their spiritual gifts, me being able to minister through, in, into their life. Like, this is, a, this is a family experience when you follow Jesus. Uh-huh. And God used people's prayer. And I'm telling you, when those kids started to return to Jesus, there was people all over the world, Todd, that partied. And it is so to the glory of God. That's why the prodigal son story ends in a party. Yeah, Because it's God to God's glory that you share this story of pain so that he gets all the credit. Yeah, come it on. has nothing to do with us as parents had nothing, clearly nothing to do with me as a Christian leader. Like I just felt like a complete failure. It was totally God Yeah, and it was surrender to him. And wow, did he show up? Yeah. And the enemy wants you to
1: think you're a failure because then you'll stop talking and leading and shame and all that stuff comes in. Right.
0: 100%. But there it, are so it, many ways he tried to pull me off those platforms. And I don't mean platform in a big sense. I just mean assignments. Yeah. He tried to just cut me off on the assignment of God for that season. You're not good enough. Shame on you. You should hide. You better just go get your act together before. And honestly, I just kept being very transparent with the people that I was working with and leading with. And confessing my own sin like I didn't want anything between me and God and just knowing I was going to be the person God called me to be yeah. and I know he would go get my kids and parents you have to hold on to that you you cannot let your even your kids I, you, it really comes back to identity Todd Like if being a mom is my primary identity then in those seasons you're going to feel like a complete failed mom because you've let all of being a mom define you but actually that's not all of who I am. That's one of my assignments. Yeah, And God helped me with that and shape me through that. But I'll, I'm actually a daughter of the Most High God. And even if my kids are running from Jesus, that does not disqualify me to go hard after him. Yeah, And I would encourage anyone listening who has family members or loved ones who are running from God, like you keep following Jesus faithfully because when they come back, not if... When they come back, they're going to find you right where they left you. Yeah. They need to know that you really believe what you say you believe. That you're not going to quit on the church. Not, you're, to, you're not going to quit being the person God called you to be. That you're actually so convinced of this Jesus thing in your life that you will lay down your life for it. And that may, may mean laying down your family, yeah. your reputation, all of your pride. All of those things that sometimes we hold to way too tightly to. And I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing to be faithful because God is faithful to you in even when you're weak, just simply being faithful. God honors faithfulness. And it, again, it's not about performing. It's not about me trying to gain brownie points. It's just actually full dependence and saying, I'm going to be faithful to you. So help me, God. <laughs> and somehow he helps you. Yeah. Through his spirit, he helps you when you are so weak. He is strong, as the scriptures say.
1: And it, it really, it's funny because you keep bringing up surrender, which is so key. And it really speaks to the fact that everybody needs to find their field to lay in and surrender, right? Your okay. kids and, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, too, because uh, I've long, coming to faith later in life, I've really not, that the, the term's, uh, secular and Christian have never really sat well with me because, you know, we, we all live in the same world. Right. And so this is actually a fantastic story of a family. That's like, there is no Christian bubble. That's just something that, that is made up and we're all in the world and it's, it's all about surrender and finding that field. And it's, it's good to, like you said, for people out there that are listening, if their kids are, yeah. or, or family members are brothers or sisters or whatever are going through stuff like this, that you got to hold true to the truth and, and faith and hope. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, to your point, Todd, like people may look at people like me in ministry and think, Oh, that's probably a extra special assignment, but it's not, it's just my assignment Yeah, and your assignments to be a firefighter and to be on the streets, sharing, the truth about Jesus. Well, my, we all have the same assignment to be an ambassador of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 tells us everyone's purpose is the same. When you come to Christ, you become brand new in him. You got to know what that means. You got to truly know how brand new you are. Yeah. And then you got to be convinced of the gospel of reconciliation, that you're given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And that's it, man. That's it. Every single person, doesn't matter if you're a garbage collector, a teacher. I was a teacher for like 21 years. I wasn't always in the church. I wasn't always in now like 700 Club Canada is a obviously a Christian you know, broadcasting ministry. It's not about your assignment. It's actually about who you are. You carry who you are, wherever God puts you and yeah. you bring the mini- message and the ministry of reconciliation. That is it. Everybody's called to do that. And you work that out in the way God has equipped you and shaped you. For me, uh, I tell you the story of my voice because that's how God has used me consistently through my life. But ironically lost it for eight years.
1: Now, that's a wild story, you know, that's a wild story.
0: But see, he will. So I think you do have to ask yourself, is there anything in your life that maybe was a plan is a plan of Satan to rob from you that actually will rob what God has called you to ask that honest question? Don't be afraid. And whatever God reveals, just invite Jesus into it and say, Jesus, heal me, like destroy the schemes of Satan, like cut them off from me. I rebuke them in Jesus' name. I don't care if you're the charismatic or the Baptist, just tell them to go away. Yeah. In be Jesus the disciple. Name. Right. And ask Jesus for that, you know, that filling of this Holy Spirit in you, that, that's, a, that's in you. That's what makes you alive. That's what gives you fire. And, and just want, live freely in that. But we should not be letting the enemy steal from us. Yeah. And but boy, he loves to. Yeah. Can't steal your salvation, but he'll sure try to steal your calling and your assignment.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lori, let's talk about uh, your upcoming book, soon to be released. Hype, hype about your book.
0: All right. Well, we're hope. I mean, you're here throughout threads of my story, identity, 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 and I have to say. God is really unpacking. I think this is a word for the time, not just for me. I mean, my son Curtis has written an amazing book, really, really free. It's an incredible book on the truth of your identity in Christ.
1: It's coming out in Australia soon, eh? It's called Free Eyes
0: down there. I had, are you serious? No, I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> that actually would probably make sense. Uh, but it's unreal. And Curtis is a mentor to me. He's taught me so much. It's so cool when your kids become your mentors. Um, but my book is called Found, uh, Discovering the Power of Your True Identity. And as you can tell, I'm a storyteller. I'm a Bible teacher. So it's both and. It's stories, my story, and nine other people. I shared their story of identity, all from different we all have a different story on this, but they share how they put their identity, how, what they let define themselves. They put that in anything else but God. And then where it took them. Adam Shepsky's in the book. We know Adam from this show as well. So Curtis is in the book. Sylvia's in the book, my daughter-in-law. And then there, what happened when they discovered their true identity in Christ. And then I unpack biblically the biblical truth between behind who you really are in Christ. And you're really so loved and you're so free. And it's not so much about performing or, you know, uh, self-sufficiency. It really is about this freedom of surrender and allowing the spirit to work through you. And that works its way out in your life in, in unique ways. To your point, I have people in the book that are, you know, realtor. I've got different people that are in different walks of life, and their story on how they their identity was redeemed by God, their value and their worth. Because we, we connect our value and worth to a, however we identify ourselves. Yeah. It often comes out of our own, what we feel secure or safe in. So, But Jesus says, you know, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And you won't really experience that life unless you know who you really are. And I believe like me, uh, many people are like me. They maybe are coming out, Of backgrounds, maybe no church backgrounds. They just don't know what the scripture says about who they are. Maybe they didn't have mentors. Maybe they came from conservative backgrounds, so they've not had the lens on scripture. So it's my heart that I tell God's story of identity and I share other people's stories. And that's kind of how I roll. And so I just put it in a book, not because I wanted to write a book. Uh, In fact, I didn't want to write a book, but he told me to. So that's what you do.
1: Is is there a story of a dumpster diver in that book? Well,
0: you know, I should keep... put Todd in you come on my podcast. I think one. that's part of my next step here. So in like a, for a week from this podcast, I'm filming a video series, uh, teach, teaching uh, videos to go with the book. So because I'm, I'm, I'm a small group. I was a small group pastor. I'm all about small groups. I'm all about discipleship life on life. Um, and so I. I'm creating a small group or individual Bible study to go with the book because I can't just write a book because, you know, you got to get into the word for yourself and you got to get in a circle with other people because I actually believe that's how we grow. That's what discipleship looks like. So I'm filming that. Uh, The book will come out, I hope, this summer-ish, summer of what year are we in? 2023? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's called Found, Discover the Power of Your True Identity.
1: And when it comes out, where, where can people find it?
0: Well, I hope everywhere books are sold. How's that? Oh, but you excellent. can always find me at lauriehartshorn.com. You can always find me there, and I'm sure everything that I will be doing and sharing will be found there.
1: Dot com. Yeah. I'll make sure that we, we put that. That's great. Uh, in all our social media. Yeah, thanks. Um yeah that's great Lori. Um and the 700 Club friends if you if you've not heard of it or seen it you can catch Lori on that. How often is that on? Every, it's every day.
0: Every day. So 700 Club Canada. So we're the Canadian show of yeah. uh, which is Christian Broadcasting Network is really worldwide. I didn't even know this Todd like in 35 countries. We're the Canadian show. We tell the Canadian story. Um Monday to Friday we do a live show, you know, weekly Um, But really, the easiest way to find it, if you're not on networks in Canada, if you're not on television networks in Canada, go to YouTube, 700 Club Canada, and you can watch the shows there, watch the interviews there. You've been on the show, Todd. We've got all your crew pretty much here on the show. We're having a whole bunch of them come back in. We're doing a whole week on evangelism. Um, They're going to come in and we're going to do that. We're just really telling the story of Canada and how God's working in Canada, what he's doing in Canada. We share Canadian stories, but we share worldwide stories too. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun.
1: Awesome. Well, Laurie, thanks for coming and sharing some of your story with us today. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We totally look forward to the release of your book and the video series that comes with it. And I just have one, one more question for you. Oh, okay. Um, if somebody were to listen to this podcast and, and then hear and be really encouraged and inspired by your story of kids who were prodigal and came back... And they reached out to you, but yet they hadn't had their surrender experience in the field. So they believe, like they grow up with that belief, but it hasn't actually come real to them. And they're really hurting because their kids have drifted. What would you say to them?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, you can try to parent in your own strength. And some people, you know, seem to have an easy time. But for those who are really experiencing some of what we experienced, um, you got to go to God Like there's other powers at work. Um, Your ability as a parent is limited, but let him parent your kids. Like Let him go after them and let him grab your heart because really it's a question of surrender for you as a parent. Like, will you surrender to Jesus? If you want God to do great things in your family, your kid's life, it starts with you. Like you've got to surrender and just know he loves you. It's a safe place to fall Like you can go to him. He already knows, by the way, he loves your kids more than you possibly could love them. And he loves you deeply. So don't be afraid to come to him. He doesn't. He will take your shame. He will take your sorrow. He will take your pain, your heartache, and he will truly heal you. He will comfort you. And I'm absolutely convinced he'll go after your kids.
1: That's great. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. You're
0: welcome. Thank you.
1: Dear friends, we've heard that word many times, many times today, but many times in previous episodes, surrender. In the world, surrender is weakness. It's defeat. But in the kingdom, it's the answer. It's the way to surrender, to yield to him. And Lori had said she knew God would do lots of things for other people, but would he do it for me? The only way to find out if he'll do it for you is to surrender. Surrender to him, friends. Surrender to the freedom that is found in Christ. Be blessed. See you next week.